Monday. And it's February 23rd. And the word of the day is dmesis, which means the insertion of a word in between the syllables of another, thus creating a new informal expression. For example, abso-fucking-lutely, or in-fucking-credible. Not to be confused with portmanteau, meaning two words kind of smashed together, like smoke and fog to smog, or black and linguist to blinguist. That's right, Mises, not infixing. We're not afraid to take a stand on controversial shit here. I'm no illusions. I'm Heath Enright, and broadcasting delayed from America's far center, we are the Skeptocrats. On episode 5, we'll learn about bleaching the assholes of autistic kids for fun and profit. A Mississippi state representative has trouble adjusting to the new post-bellum society. Glenn Beck will compare Jenny McCarthy to Galileo, and not just because neither's had detectable brain activity in 373 years. And Brian Fisher teaches us that gay marriage minus slavery equals Holocaust. But first, the Duo Tribe. Sorry, but there will be no Duo Tribe this week, as Heath wanted to talk about the cultural demonization of higher education, but I wanted to talk about the global rise in blasphemy laws. Of course, when we took it to Lucinda for a tie-breaking vote, and she sided with me, Noah vetoed. Which led to Heath and Lucinda forming a coalition with our unpaid Guatemalan orphan refugees to override my veto. Which would have worked if Noah hadn't tied a... No higher education mm-hmm. duo tribes rider to the budget for this month's hosting fees. Which he threatened to filibuster knowing the votes weren't there for closure. At which point Noah withdrew that rider and replaced it with an only blasphemy duo tribes rider. Which Lucinda and Heath challenged on constitutional grounds. And won. In a ruling that I immediately appealed. And lost. At which time I declared an executive moratorium on higher education duo tribes. Forcing Lucinda and me to file articles of impeachment. Which are still being debated in committee. So until we get word on that, we can't actually do the duo tribe. But the important thing in the end is that both of us stuck by our principles and stood up for what we believed in without wavering. Which, as anyone who follows American politics knows, is way better than flip-flopping. Or betraying one's principles. Or accomplishing things. Because if there's one message we can take from our government and apply in everyday life, it's fuck compromise. Exactly. There's nothing sexy about compromise. People don't march in the street yelling, hell maybe. The the answer to, when do we want it, is never, as soon as the CBO has finished a thorough examination of the multiple options on the table and the relevant committees have had a chance to debate the results. Exactly, then. exactly. Conceding some points in the interest of achieving others, that doesn't fire up the base. But holding firm to an unattainable precept at the expense of all government functionality, now that moistens the American genitals like few things do. Yeah, we've reached the point where the media was actually celebrating the ability of this Congress to pass a bill that appropriated six millionths of the federal budget to a program mm-hmm. to help prevent veteran suicide. And we're not even sure how they shoved that one through. Right. All because <laughs> as a nation, we've accepted this paradoxical notion that a good politician is an unyielding one. Never mind that the word politician is supposed to mean, like, professional compromiser. Right. That's what that should mean. But our system and voters reward recalcitrance, so that's what we get. Inevitably leads to the worst of both worlds. Take nuclear power, for example. Now, like all issues, this doesn't divide up evenly along party lines, but broadly speaking, Republicans favor building more nuclear power plants, Democrats oppose it. So the default middle ground becomes stagnation. 
Right? The politics won't allow us to build a new nuclear power plant, but our energy needs won't allow us to take any of the old ones offline. So in the end, we get a bunch of old-ass nuclear power plants with outdated technology. That's something that nobody wants. <laughs> Unless they have a secret lair and henchmen. So yeah. yeah pretty much worst-case scenario. And, or how about a macro example? Just look at the broad question of taxing and spending. Right, One side says we can't raise taxes. The other side says we can't reduce spending. Nobody is in favor of spending 5% of our federal budget paying interest on our debt. But because nobody's willing to budge, effectively, they're all in favor of that. Meanwhile, one side pretends you can solve the problem by cutting fraud and abuse. The other side pretends it can be done by closing loopholes. Mm -hmm. But these aren't esoteric questions. These are questions of simple math. It's just pluses and minus. We're not even asking yeah. to multiply or divide right. or There's take no a derivative. Like or nothing. nothing. And look, the same is true of the nuclear issue. There's a right and wrong answer here. With over 400 operational nuclear power plants producing one-eighth of the world's electricity, concerns about safety don't have to remain in the theoretical. We can use the empirical data that's right there to answer these questions. Look, there are definitely some questions that have to remain abstract. Of there are course. questions of like national priorities and morality that don't lend themselves to empirical measurements like this. There's a lot of gray areas, but those are a tiny minority compared to the ones that we can actually answer. Does cutting taxes increase jobs, for example? We have hundreds of years of data across hundreds right. of countries on this. There is a yes or no answer to that question. And it's it's no. It's no. Yeah, yeah, absolutely correct. Definitely no. no. And yet that's a pillar of one of our political parties here, an empirical question that can be answered with a pretty simple analysis of the data, and their stance is demonstrably wrong. But rather than subject our ideology to scientific rigor at the risk of being proven wrong, a lot of our body politic carves its beliefs in stone and defends it with every cognitive bias in their quiver. Well, obviously that's not true of everyone, but it is mm -hmm. true on both sides, somewhat. And unfortunately, the people most resistant to compromise tend to be the most politically active because, again, nobody's chanting hell maybe or right. the results aren't quite in yet. <laughs> and as easy as it would be to blame these stubborn partisans that are marching, they're just doing their job. We're supposed to have stubborn partisans. We're supposed to have uncompromising, unyielding people standing at podiums and shit. We need them. We just don't need them representing us in the halls of Congress. <laughs> no, the blame for this one falls squarely on the shoulders of those of us who are willing to bend. At some point, we ceded the national conversation to the fringe, and it's incumbent upon us to take it back. Yeah, and as nice as it would be to live in a world where nobody had to carve out the niche of standing up for that which is demonstrably true, uh, right. we don't yes, exactly. live in that world. And worse than living in a world where that needs to be done is living in a world where that needs to be done, but it's not because science is met with heavy resistance from yeah. people. Look, skepticism needs to widen its circle. Organized skepticism needs to charge into the political arena from both the left and the right. As a group, we've already agreed to the fair set of rules. Now let's arbitrate. Yeah. Let's put our political beliefs to the litmus test of observation wherever and whenever we can, and let's start with the beliefs about which we are most passionate. Let's look for opportunities to change our minds. Let's seek out a chance to prove ourselves wrong. And where we can't whittle our way down to an answer that everybody agrees on, let's look for some compromise, maybe, instead of no answer. Yeah. It's some kind of solution. Exactly. Now, that's not to say that idea. we have to put everything on the table. Of course, there are certainly plenty of issues that we should refuse the slightest compromise on, issues of equality, issues of church-state separation, issues of free expression. But I think most of us can recognize the fundamental difference between human rights issues and economic policies. Right. And those of us who can't are probably victimized by our nation's demonization of higher education. Hey, hey, so hey. I move to have that remark stricken from the record in post-production. Overruled. I appeal to the parliamentarian. Overruled. Damn it. Yes. Monday. 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 
Listen as two raging assholes objurgate, vociferate, and bloviate. All in an effort to become this week's most hyperbolic jackass in the first ever skeptocrat asshole cage match of doom. In the red corner, we have the pugilist that puts asses in the pews, Brian, the sweet science denier Fisher. And in the possibly even redder corner, we have Mormon grape juice shill Glenn, the redneck back. Two assholes enter. Regrettably, no double-headed dildo is involved, but only one can reign supreme. The dildo should arrive by next week. So Glenn Beck opens the bout this week by offering his opinion on my wife's biggest non-opiate addiction, The Walking Dead. Proving once more that every waking moment of his life is a mundane version of Chaz Palminteri's epiphany at the end of Usual Suspects, he explained the popularity of the serial zombie epic as a subconscious recognition that we all share that the world is entering into World War III, which will be just like Walking Dead, except with brown people instead of zombies. In a statement that is an offense to both analogy and subject-verb agreement, Beck explained that, quote, Zombies are ISIS. Zombies is our economic peril. The rest of the show is what we say is coming, end quote. So, no zombies, but apparently Shane is still going to fuck Rick's wife, I guess. All right, so we got Glenn Beck dancing around the ring like James Brown, throwing weak-ass zombie punches, and that's great. But Brian Fisher is the Ivan Drago of this sport. He took a bunch of radioactive Soviet steroids, and it's been decided that he must break you. So... Fisher dives right in, explaining that the zombie apocalypse won't even matter because God's going to repo the entire United States in the next couple weeks if we don't stop with all the sodomy and abortion, because those two are related. And he also (laughs) suggested that the omnipotent God, in whom he believes without evidence, gets mad about superstitions also. So in summary, oral, anal, the resulting abortions, and superstitions are going to get us evicted by the superstition ghost overlord. Impressive to say the least, but Glenn is unruffled and goes right back on the offense. Showing off his medical, historical, and scientific credentials last week, Beck pointed out that Jenny McCarthy is basically Galileo with nice tits. While discussing the way that the deadly anti-vax scaremongering has already forced its way into 2016 presidential politics, Beck explained that once upon a time the church thought Galileo was wrong, and here today we have anti-vaxxers that the government thinks are wrong. And scientists think are wrong. And informed non-scientists think are wrong. So, following basic Glenn Beck chalkboard logic, the more informed people there are telling you that you're wrong, the more likely it is that you're just like Galileo. And, of course, the standard countermove against a Jenny McCarthy to Galileo comparison is making wild speculations about Hillary Clinton getting plastic surgery to give her Nicolas Cage's of face. Of course. So, that's what Brian Fisher went with. <laughs> Apparently, he normally Skypes with Hillary every morning, I guess, but she's been suspiciously absent recently. Quote, where is she? Why haven't we literally seen her face in weeks? And I would suggest that there is a possibility anyway that she's getting it prepared for the campaign if you catch my drift. Oh, I see. End quote. So, yeah, you, you smooth out that face with some canned food poison, slap it right back on that smoking 67-year-old pantsuit model body, get it endorsed by the Bilderbergs. That's a winner in 2016. Wow. Well, Glenn Beck will block that bionic reconstruction of Hillary with his magical Mormon underoos encounter with a Hadouken of Orwellian (laughs) conspiracy brain flatulence. Hadouken! Fearing that his Tuesday proclamation that measles are the price you pay for freedom wouldn't hold up, Beck went on the air Friday to ask the pertinent question that nobody's asking, why isn't anyone blaming measles on the immigrants? Well, that's because the immigrants he's talking about are Amish missionaries that refused to get vaccinations, went to the Philippines, 
got measles, and then, quote, immigrated back to the United States. Yes, Heath, but you're thinking of white people measles. Those Ah, are nowhere near as dangerous. After citing an article that might as well have also said that he was the millionth visitor and offered a great deal on herbal male enhancement supplements, Beck went on to explain that the media is afraid to report the measles is caused by Filipino immigrants and not just because it isn't true. In a curious and internally inconsistent twist, he went on to explain that the whole measles thing was just a hoax anyway. His words, hoax. (laughs) All right, well, Brian Fisher did not want to do this, but he, he's got it. He's got it. He just held back for two seconds, then pressed forward and roundhouse, oh, thus breaking shit. out his special move called the double Godwin gay marriage analogy M. Bison scissor kick. <laughs> Big trouble. Oh, he no. just invented it for this issue, and it goes something <laughs> like this. First, a little background. Gay marriage just became legal in Alabama. Their state Supreme Court Justice Roy Moore is a giant bigot and told all the state probate judges to withhold licenses from gay couples. Yes. Now a federal judge has overruled him, and all these Christian probate judges are now going to be required to hand a piece of paper to a gay person from time to time. And as far as Brian Fisher is concerned, forcing this paper-handing stuff on these judges, along with the reduced enjoyment of the word marriage for them, that's the, quote, gay Gestapo carrying out, quote, Slavery. What? Gay Gestapo. Slavery. Brian Fisher's word. So, in his mind, an ordeal like that with the paper handing and the word sharing, if he was making a good comparison, that would be very similar to the Nazi Holocaust and American slavery happening simultaneously, but concentrated down from all those millions of Jews and blacks onto those, you know, 68 judges in Alabama all at once. (laughs) So, like, slavery and genocide roughly, but a little worse because of the the concentration factor. Wow, two tired assholes retreating to their corners after a hard-fought battle. Great bullshit from both fighters. And the judges are tallying up the scores now. And it looks like this week's winner and the first reigning asshole cage match of doom champion is... Brian Fisher! Well, I think we can all take comfort in the knowledge that even when it comes to being a ranting, paranoid cock callus, Glenn Beck is still a loser. And when we come back, I promise to stop talking like this. Joining me for headlines tonight is fellow skeptic rat, no illusions, Noah, multiple choice. Owning an assault rifle, A, prevents, or B, guarantees the NSA spying on you? Well, I'd say that not owning an assault rifle also guarantees they'll be spying on you, but (laughs) uh, the gun certainly doesn't help. No, it does not. Unless you can pick off drones. So before we get to our first headline, let's see what Twitter's been doing to help out the British homosexuals crack the latest Nazi cryptography. Trending this week was hashtag make a film illegal. Noah, would you like to play or pass? I'll play, I'll play. How about um, three men and an adolescent? (laughs) I'm going to go with Django Rechained. Oh, wow. Well done, sir. Now, Lucinda wanted in on this. She said uh, 30 going on 13 would be like a R. Kelly retrospective. But I don't know if anybody's heard of that movie that she's lampooning, so I didn't go that way. And this week's random stranger winner was at Vance Saunders with Citizen Caning. Well, right right up until I saw at NV Les Parker's answer, which was all dogs go to Michael Vick's house. So well done, Mr. Les Parker and also Mr. Saunders. And thank you, Heath, for putting me in a position where I now have to come up with a dog murdering transitional line how about uh that could be good if all the dogs showed up at the same time and he was asleep and covered in bacon grease (laughs) that'd be worth it that's a fantastic segue let's just go straight to headlines in our lead story tonight from the islamo file 
President Obama held a White House summit last week hoping to unite world leaders around the cause of combating terrorist violence. After three days of diplomatic talks, it turns out we're against it. So, fascinating stuff. However, despite the very popular pro-puppies anti-terrorism stance, many Americans are criticizing the president's remarks as empty rhetoric that failed to correctly identify the problem and also failed to offer any new concrete solutions. Well, and one could almost say that the only solution that was offered was a suggestion that we not correctly identify the problem. (laughs) Right. Actually. Especially controversial was Obama's refusal to link any particular religion to terrorist violence, insisting that using... Say the word Muslim next to terrorist plays right into the hands of Muslim terrorists and their narratives and mm-hmm. existence and identity. So basically, he said the problem isn't about Islam. Now, I can see why Obama might want to remind everyone that any religion can be used to justify fundamentalist violence. Okay, that's a good point. But it says a lot when the statements made by foreign ministers from Egypt and Jordan were far more direct and honest on right. this topic. Yeah. For example, Sama Shukri of Egypt stated very clearly, quote, In the end, the responsibility to confront the violent ideology lies with Muslims themselves, end quote. Yeah, but but black people are allowed to say the N-word. You know, like if maybe if Barack Obama had a a Muslim name, he could get away with saying shit like that. But he's an American. So, yes, I'm sorry. It absolutely is about Islam right now. Not always, not as a general principle, but right now mostly yes, absolutely. Lots of young, desperate idiots in predominantly Muslim countries are getting tricked into becoming terrorist soldiers using the words of the Quran. Not so much with other books at the moment. And now that we're all on the same page about the spadiness of spades, maybe let's try to solve the problem at its root. Maybe the world will always have young idiots around, but if we remove the desperate part a little by, say, losing the theocratic royalty shenanigans, maybe spreading the wealth a little better... Maybe start legalizing ovaries. There might be a little less <laughs> fundamentalist violence in the Muslim community. Right. Maybe. Or we could just keep picking them off one by one with five to twelve million dollar remote controlled death bots. <laughs> because so far that's working. I mean, it's working pretty well. Yeah. No. Of course, there was plenty of criticism for Obama in the news, and as usual, lots of it went wildly overboard with hyperbole. Huh. For example, former New York City Mayor Rudy Giuliani suggested Obama doesn't love this country. Nope. I guess, cheating on it. I guess Giuliani intercepted a, a folded up note during class that says the president secretly loves Kenya, and he checked maybe for Iran. So, oh, so that was useful. Thanks, yeah. Giuliani. Mm-hmm. Uh, Donald Trump also weighed in with his thoughts about the war on terrorism and oh, good. why he would make a better president despite batting below the Mendoza line when it comes to operating gambling houses that allegedly always yeah, win. Yeah, right, right. Should be supposed to always easy. win. He lost. What happened Yes, buddy? Trump offered the perfectly reasonable solution of driving all the ISIS fighters into Syria and then basically leveling that entire country. With, with more on this story, we turn to our roving reporter, Lucinda Lusions, who is live at the Donald Trump School of Foreign Trump Policy Trump Trump Trumpy Smurf Trump Smurf in New York City, where an international summit has been convened to further expound on the Trump doctrine. Lucinda, how's the mood there, Trump? Have you ever been to one of those things where you have to sit through the timeshare pitch to get the free microwave heat? <laughs> it's that bad. Well, most of the attendees don't speak English and no translators were provided. That sounds like a problem. Well, judging by Trump's repeated references to the, quote, strawberry picking class and those, quote, shifty Chinamen, it's probably best if it's just disjointed syllables for them, Heath. Wow. 
He also keeps talking about the sloth liquors, but I haven't quite figured out which ethnicity that's meant to disparage. I'll try to have more on that later. <laughs> I see. And has Trump laid out any of the specifics of his foreign policy? In a manner of speaking, yes, Heath. He's got a bunch of troll dolls on a risk board, and he's moving them around, occasionally giving them voices. It's really painful to watch. I can imagine. So, has he mentioned any more details about his nuke ISIS proposal? Well, he has mentioned putting smallpox into turbans, but I think that's something he does recreationally anyway. <laughs> Sounds like something Jeffrey Amherst would do. Gotcha. Has he offered any thoughts on U.S.-China relations? Thoughts? I don't know if I'd go that far. <laughs> right. Any ridiculous opinions? Oh, plenty of those, but most of them seem to hinge on him defeating a team of ninjas with a bow staff. <laughs> Anything else? He also seems to think Westeros is a real place and proposed bringing in their wall guy to deal with the Mexicans. <laughs> That's pretty damning. Now, would you say that he has anything positive going for him? Relativity, Heath. Keep in mind that this is all happening the same week that Jeb Bush announced that he would be bringing on the exact same foreign policy team that advised his brother into the Iraq war. Compared to that decision, nuking Syria is completely sane. <laughs> Very good point. Thank you, Lucinda. I would say it was my pleasure, Heath, but you wouldn't believe me. And in How to Feign Your Dragon news tonight, the fossilized skull of a dragon was discovered on the surface of Mars by the expert pareidoliologists over at UFO Sightings Daily. The object, which has cleverly disguised itself as an unexceptional rock on the Martian surface, only revealed its secrets when the photos were treated with the scientific process of dropping out all the color and then drawing a dragon skull over top of it with Mario paint. I had that game. Awesome. Now, to me, it just sounds like these scientists, they're just covering up the real story as mm -hmm. usual. To me, the image looks exactly like the skull of Jesus' pet Velociraptor, and they obviously don't <laughs> right. want us to find well, out about that. Well, now, to the credit of the esteemed journal UFO Sightings Daily, the lead <laughs> author on this study did admit that this could be a case of mistaken identity. Oh, oh, oh could it? In addition to preserved skull of a dragon, <laughs> there's another theory besides he conceded skull of a that dragon? it might also be a horse skull, oh. or or the carving of a horse or dragon skull. Now, there there might still be reason to doubt their methodology, however, as they did not go into detail on how they ruled out horse dragon hybrid skull <laughs> or decapitated Dinobot. And in old clan river news tonight, Mississippi's Republican state representative Gene Alday doesn't really get how having black people works very well. And in some weird, depressing sense, this means democracy is working, as I would imagine Mr. Alday very accurately reflects the mindset of lots of white people that is who is his constituency. So when he suggested during an interview that the state doesn't need better school funding, despite literally being the worst state out of 50 last year, nobody should be surprised that his reason was something like black people on welfare with gunshot wounds are clogging up emergency rooms. That Which, was... while not like a direct quote, is an exact <laughs> summary of what this motherfucker said about educational funding. So look, the NFL, for example, has a team that is named after a racial slur. But if anybody involved with the NFL said that shit, they would be fired. The league that names a team after a derogatory term for a minority that we, our culture genocided would fire you for that, <laughs> right. but the voters in the great state of Mississippi won't. So Alde was being interviewed for an article about education funding, let's mm -hmm. remember. And although he acknowledged that public schools in the state are doing terribly, he blamed the problem on voters, the people that elected him, 
who he thinks elected bad superintendents also. They do elect bad. Right. So it's pretty stupid already. Better funding would clearly help regardless. But but from here, you'll remember he manages to argue against increased school budgets using an anecdotal connection to government-assisted black people and their gunplay. Well, this ought to be irrelevant. I'll get to that. Alde explains, quote, I come from a town where all the blacks are getting food stamps and what I call welfare crazy checks. Wow. That's a real quote. (laughs) Furthermore, Alde claims these same black people with the welfare checks gone insane once prevented him from getting care at the local ER because they, the blacks, were, quote, in there being treated for gunshots, end quote. That's the other thing. I'm sitting here waiting to get some Tylenol for hours. Fucking Medgar Evers gets to cut the line. This is bullshit. Really, Gene Alday, elected official, state of Mississippi. Good job, guys. And in its raining man hallelujah news tonight, in a depressing example of gross consumer fraud combined with gross consumer stupidity, parents of autistic children who think doctors are liars are being fooled into believing they should seek out the secret autism anti-venom that only resides in exotic places like New Zealand and their industrial bleach factories. <laughs> so the guy fooling them is cult leader Jim Humble mm-hmm. of Genesis 2 Church of Health and Healing, a retired Scientologist who combined his Scientologific expertise with his knowledge of caustic chemicals and started selling a bleach-based snake oil tonic that he calls Miracle Mineral Solution, or MMS. Yeah, Yeah, the skeptics in the audience will know all about this. It's been a target by skeptics for the better part of a decade. We actually covered this guy last November on our fantastic other show, The Scathing Atheist, when he started a seminar tour charging $500 a head to learn about how drinking his Miracle Bleach Solution can cure things like the flu, Ebola, malaria, asthma, hep C, cancer, AIDS, autism, and acne. Which is nice. That's convenient because I'm sick and tired of buying separate treatments for my HIV and my acne. Just one thing. pain in the ass. This same bleached asshole also made news last month when authorities had to raid an Arkansas home with seven kids in it to investigate illegal use of his toxic product, which would be use of his product. And now most recently, a report from Raw Story suggested he's successfully sold it as an autism cure administered by enema. Now that That's happening. is a pain in the ass. Now, as disgusted as I am by this guy, though, at least like on some level, I have to begrudgingly concede that I have some type of admiration for a person that can actually close the deal when the pitch contains the words... Have you tried anally raping your child with industrial strength bleach? No, I mean, as bad as that is, just like imagine what he could do if he used those same powers for the forces of good. Sounds like a good deal, right? How many good deals could I get you? Right. So it looks like they might have had a review on their website maybe that said MMS would be healthier if you shoved it up your ass. So I guess Humble considered that advice carefully and decided to go with it. And now parents are shooting bleach up their autistic child's ass with a hose as a cure for a genetic disease. A Uh genetic disease. Yeah, right. It's like curing tallness with an axe. Well, except that the axe actually would make you shorter. (laughs) Right. It's like unsuccessfully curing tallness with an axe. And it turns out the anal hydrofracking is doing wonders for autistic children with 
behavioral issues. Yeah, according to problems. several anecdotes. And, of course, we want in on this. So we put our team of unpaid, underage Guatemalan orphan refugees. No, we did not give them bleach enemas. We put them to the task <laughs> of brainstorming ideas for Jim Humble's toxic enema gastro pub locations. <laughs> yes, we did. So um, uh, who would you like to hear first? You know what? I'm in the mood for something poetic. Let's start with Guillermo. All right. He is always poetic. All right. So Guillermo had... Fracker Barrel Natural Gastro Pub. Nice. You crack it, we frack it. That kid's always good for a rhyme. And it's and I like it because when I think Cracker Barrel, I'm already thinking toxic and ass. So it's <laughs> a natural yeah. fit. Um, how about my main man, Raul? <laughs> All right, Raul came up with the brown eyed grill. At the very least, we'll get your ass to the white part of the autism spectrum. Nice. I knew I could trust him we'll to get, get deep to into that ass joke. What about Carlos? <laughs> Carlos went with strict nine guys, burgers and fries. Liquor in the front, super soaker in the rear, and tap that Asperger. That's a good call, because we can't just limit ourselves to bleach. We've got to be ready to expand into other toxic ass chemicals as we get bigger. I like where his head's at. So what did uh, Gabriella have for us? Well, considering we were already on the subject of murderers who aren't in jail, Gabriella went with Snoop Dogg's hot dog stand and mustard gastro pub. You know where to shove it, Bliatch. Oh, nice. That girl has layers. Separation of church and state. And that's going to do it for episode five. Thanks to No Illusions for all the researching, writing, recording, editing, and general doing of all the stuff. Thanks to his lovely wife, Lucinda, for reporting on the Donald's failed presidential bid of three no Trump. And thanks to all the listeners that liked us on Facebook, followed us on Twitter, and sent us feedback on the other various internets, and maybe got that bridge reference. Please keep doing that. Please keep <laughs> listening, and please keep telling your friends. And if you're feeling that same chemistry that I'm feeling, and I think you are, I think you are, please feel free to send us gifts of earthly currency at our donation page at patreon.com slash skeptocrat. And whether or not you're feeling financially benevolent, if you enjoyed our brand of whimsy and you'd like to hear more unsolicited dick jokes free of charge, check out our sister podcast, The Skating Atheist, available on iTunes, Stitcher, or directly from skatingatheist.com. We just have one last thing. Let's compliment that penist. Special thanks to free-range ivory tickler Ryan Slotnick of Evil Drafts on Mars. He is the creator of the infectious musical stylings you heard today, which were used with his permission. You can check him out using the links we'll provide or by Googling the only band called Evil Drafts on Mars. Until next week, catchphrase sign-off. And since there's no such thing as the afterlife, everybody Google legendary trumpeter Clark Terry and maybe we can make him immortal.